Welcome to Women Read Scripture. I'm Mariana Richardson. And I'm Christine Thackeray. And I'm Kim Robinson. And I'm Michelle Wilson. And we're all together again. That's so fun. We could even sing the song. <laughs> we're here, we're, <laughs> we're here. here. <laughs> um, today we're going to be talking about First and Second Thessalonians. And Thessalonica is an interesting city in that it's still in Greece. A matter of fact, it is the second largest city in Greece with over a million people still living there. So um, it's one of the few cities that we've been talking about that's still there and going strong. Hey, do they still call it Thessalonica they, or is they it a still, different name? No, no. They still saw, thought it's Thessalonica. Well, it's still there. Have you ever heard of Thessalonica in the news or anything? It's, it's like I said, it's wow. the second largest. Athens is the largest. Right. Thessalonica is the next. It wasn't in Mamma Mia, so it's... Well, <laughs> it is a port city. It is on the port, and it was located in the intersection of two major Roman roads. So there was one road that came in from the east and the other from the north. And so it was just a major intersection. Um, Paul and Silas came to Thessalonica. And I am going to read this. This is found in Acts 17. And there's some significant things about this. So realize Paul and his companion Silas come into Thessalonica and they initially go to the synagogue. And we talked before about this is kind of the pattern. When they go to a new city, they first go to the, the synagogue. Well, first the Jews and then the Gentiles. First the Jews, so and, kind of and that's exactly it. what they did. But listen to this. He says, And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks a great multitude, and of the chief women not a few. One. Not a few. So realize here in Thessalonica, we have women who are very strong and really are the ones that are leading the charge in faith. And then we have, you know, this is also a pattern, but the Jews which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort and gathered a company and set all the city on an uproar and assaulted the house of Jason. Now we talked before, Jason was a relative of Paul. So Paul is staying at his cousin's house. We're not sure exactly what the relation is, but it probably was like a cousin or a second cousin. And they sought to bring them out to the people. So basically, they're, they're bringing him out because they're probably going like to stone him. Right. They're, they're going to do something bad mob. to him. So realize this is kind of what happened in Thessalonica. But realize because of the women... There is this strong, strong group of saints. And a matter of fact, they're so strong that listen to how Paul describes them. For from you, this is chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. He says, For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only to Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So this description helps us understand that these saints are an example to all the people around. Not only they are an example to other saints, but they're doing missionary work. You know, they are going out of their comfort zone, and they are bringing other people to Christ as well, as being a disciple of Christ. This is shocking to me because you think of Corinthians, where they keep on going back. You think of 
Philippians where, you know, they're part of this hedonistic and you're talking about pleasure and joy. And so then to have this group that are doing it right, like the awesome group. They are the awesome fun. Group. So this is the awesome. Well, and maybe that's the reason why Thessalonica <laughs> is still here today. I know. <laughs> and why it talks so much about the second coming. Yeah. No, they, they are ready, ready to hear and they're ready to listen. Ugh. And so I would say the theme of our discussion today is that we should live as disciples of Christ every minute of every day and be that kind of example that these saints are. Because we're going to talk about, as an, a saint, a true saint, and we are Latter-day Saints, that we do have hope in terms of what's going to happen and it's going to be a positive thing. So they're going to be taught by Paul these mysteries, and they are mysteries, to be able to understand what's going to happen in the future. So I know, Kim, you're going to talk more about being a disciple of Christ and serving with sincerity and heart, because that's what these saints did. Yes, and that's, yes, we need to remember this always. I think, especially in the church culture, sometimes we can serve for not so... Not so pure intents and reasons um, and ways. So it's so good to remember. And I, I love that Paul teaches us. I'm going to just go to First Thessalonians chapter 2 and just touch on a couple different values in 3, 4, 5, and 6 that maybe aren't so great. Just to start with that, and then we'll end with the good ones. But he says that mm-hmm. you know our exhortation should not be in deceit or guile. Not as pleasing men, but God, no flattering words or covetousness, and no seeking glory. And I think those are really big things to remember and to watch out for. I know myself, oh, and I'll tell you in a second that I've had to make sure I've learned this and remember this and then focus on these better ones, which beginning in First Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2, 3, 4, and then 7, 8, and 11, I'm just going to touch on those good, those better virtues, okay? So if we can serve um, giving thanks to God always for you all, for all the people, making mention of them in our prayers, remembering them without ceasing, knowing their election of God, uh, to be gentle among them, to be affectionate, willing to impart the gospel with them, but even their own souls, so everything it sounds like, um, to exhort comfort and charge them. And why? Because ye are our glory and joy. So that's in verse 20. So yes, I, I had to learn this. I think uh, it was on my mission mostly. I started out um, with a mission present with certain objectives and goals, and I took them one direction. And I thought, all right, I'm going to have all these great numbers. I'm going to have awesome, just success with all these things, things, not so much with people. And I, I felt like that's what was going to make me a great missionary was to have so many discussions taught or so many visits or appointments made, things like that. And then I, I, I started to realize as a new mission president came in, and my focus had started to change, and I had different companions who taught me so many things that really it's it's not about us. It's not glory for us. It's glory for God. And if we really make it about the people and loving them and serving them with sincerity and heart as Christ would have, that's where real success is. That's where real joy is. And I think that not just as a missionary, but as a Relief Society president or a seminary teacher or in any capacity in the church or even just as an individual in this world, as a neighbor, as a friend, you know, if we can remember these great virtues and qualities, then that will help us be sincere and we will love others more and, and they will come to know Christ better and ultimately we will become more like him as well. Mm, what do you guys think? Is there any good examples? Well, I love in verse eight where it says, so being affectionately desirous of you. I mm. love affectionately mm. yes. desirous, so you know, mm-hmm. and we may not always get along with everyone, but 
you know, we can be affectionately desirous towards others. And that's how they were in verse seven. It says, we were gentle among you. I love that too. I just, there's such great examples of sticking with the truth and preaching the truth, but doing it because they love Jesus Mm -hmm. and because they love each other. They have affection for the Savior and for each other. Well, and I also love this idea of the labor of love, Mm -hmm. because oftentimes when we think of labor, we don't think of love. You know, we think work, we think hard, we think difficult. And to really think that labor is showing love, I think is such a positive way of viewing labor, because sometimes labor is hard. I mean, I, I am really don't like to pull weeds. I really, really don't. <laughs> it's one of my most unfavorite things. And so, um, but would I go and do that for somebody else? Yes. And if I did, it would be a labor of love. And so we need to think of how we can make our labors, labors of love. You know where my mind just went? And maybe it's because my daughter-in-law just had a baby like three days ago. When you said labor of love, I was thinking labor, labor, you know, and I've experienced that twice and labor itself. I kind of liked it. I enjoyed it. Um, But sometimes, yeah, it's just, there's something amazing about, but it's pain with a purpose. Yeah. Not just pain. And that's what it is. When we labor with love, it's with a purpose because we're bringing something beautiful into the world. And so when you're weeding for someone else, you know, it, the weeding itself may be painful, it may not be fun, but the fact that you're bringing oh. joy into the world and bringing connection, yeah. you know, what what is coming from this labor? What is that product? I just love that. It's, a, you know, work with the purpose. Right. Do you remember Henry B. Eyring's father? Oh, I love oh, that story. So it's sad. So, Do you want to tell so it? No, I'm ahead. just weepy today. But um, he had cancer and he was in terrible pain and they were going to do, was it, the what weeding. were the weeding? They were weeding but it was the, for the church, the, for the steak like farm. Potato farm. Have you heard this? Farm or and so he's on the ground on his on his Hands elbows. He wasn't even it. on his knees. He was like inside, you know, doing the, the army crawl. Weeds this whole thing and is talking and lifting people. And then he finds out that the line he was doing didn't even have to be done. <laughs> and, so he'd and his father was so, I mean, his, his son, Henry, was so shocked. Hal, and he's like, what? And his father said, I'm not here for the weeds. I'm here for the love. And I think that's why is, is our motivation for the work love. Well, and I and that's love the part happy. of the story where, you know, um, President Eyring was, you know, a, a, a little upset for and his father, was. but the father laughed oh, about yeah, it. Oh, yeah, that's mm. true. And I think sometimes, oh, what a we take healing process. We take seriously. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Instead, the fact that Absolutely. he just said, oh, that's hilarious, you know, and <laughs> I, I think, I don't know if I could laugh about that, but I'm going to follow his but example. But he had helped and lifted and taught yeah. and... And it goes, it speaks to what we talked about last week about the power of perspective, right? Right. What oh, lens was he, what lens was he looking exactly. at through? And, and he was looking through the correct lens. Yeah. <laughs> what was the most important thing? It was the people, not the nice. potatoes. Oh my goodness. That's <laughs> amazing. Well, I know Michelle, we're talking about how we can increase and abound in love. I mean, obviously love is a theme for today. Yes. Loving everybody yes. and everything. Do you guys remember that movie When Savannah Smiles? Oh, yeah. It's such an old, beautiful uh-huh. movie. And there was this woman and she was dancing with this man and she says, I just love love. Don't you just love love? And oh. I've always remembered that because <laughs> That's why we I never saw it. <laughs> oh, it's so cute. You need to go see it. I think it was filmed in Utah. It's really darling. Oh, wow. Um, but in 
in First Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 7 through 13, and then the beginning of chapter 4, the first 12 verses, Paul talks about abounding more and more. Oh. And I love the idea that we have a gospel of more. There's more that we don't know, and when we're ready, we'll know. There's more that we can be, and when we're ready, we can become that. I just oh. love, and there's more. There's always more. Um, and so this was one of the things that Paul wanted to talk about. So in um, 4 verse 1, he says, Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren and sisteren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to abound, and walk and please God, so ye would abound more and more. And I love that this group, right, they're, they're active. He's not going back and saying, you need to repent, you need to do this, you need to do that. He's saying, guess what? There's more. You know, it's it's the, so the Nephi beautiful. Anderson added upon. I love that book too, you know. There's more. And so he talks about specifically, um, I'm going to just touch on two verses. In verse 10, he talks about to increase more and more in your faith. And I love that. Like more faith. Who doesn't want mm -hmm. more faith? Who doesn't need more faith, right? But I love how he talks about increasing in and abounding in love one towards another. So I went back and I thought, okay, how did Paul and Silas, how did they abound in love towards the Thessalonians? What was their example? So I looked up in verse 7, they cared for and they knew about their spiritual condition. Right? They found joy in their faithfulness. I love that. They prayed for them. That's an act of love. And they followed inspiration for them. And as a Relief Society president, I'm looking at this and I'm like, this is the ministering program. It is. Mm -hmm. This is ministering, right? Before we were told what to do. We were told you go check this box and now ministering. This is abounding more and more in love. It's first you connect with God, then you connect with that sister. Um, and I just love the idea that this ministering program is about abounding in love and that it's not a new thing. Like President Nelson's like, what more can we give the sisters? You know, it's like, he's looking at us. The savior is looking at us and going, they're ready for more. They're ready to abound in love. And I love uh, two verse 10 when he says, but we beseech you brethren and sister and that ye increase more and more. And that's what they want. So in your lives, as you're looking at what you have, how do you abound in love. How do you search for that more? Or do you have times where you thought I'm doing okay and then you've just discovered more or understood more or felt more? Well, I think that's a really interesting question in that I think sometimes we live in a society that's all about more. Mm -hmm. We live in a society where we want more things, more cars, more clothes, more food, more everything. And so what are we asking about here in terms of abounding? And I think that's where we have to make sure that we want more of the right stuff. Yep. Right. And yeah. so that goes back to my thoughts and feelings about the Thessalonian saints in that when we talk about abounding with faith and, and getting more from the Lord, we do have to get up to a certain spot. We have to be going in the right direction to be able to, for him to give us more. Mm -hmm. And so they were living such a righteous life and being examples to others that the Lord could give them more. And I think sometimes, you know, we miss that opportunity because we, we want more, but we're not living righteous enough to be able to receive that more. 
But wow. what is fascinating to me is, as you were saying, we live in a world that wants more. We do. I keep on thinking we live in a world that wants less social interactions, wants less relationships, wants less service. And so they limit their children. They limit their associations to only friends they like and push people out of their lives they're not interested in. They unfriend people that don't have the same views as them. So we live in a world that wants more external things, mm -hmm. but also that doesn't open their hearts, that doesn't stretch their hearts to be abounded in love. And I do remember Julia, it was Thanksgiving, and she was very pregnant with her 11th child. And she said, I am so grateful for this baby because I feel like he's going to teach me. It was a girl, wasn't it? To stretch my heart, I think she. And she said, only had ten. Oh, did she only have ten? Then so it was the last one. It couldn't have been. It was her tenth child. So <laughs> it was the last one. But I remember her standing and saying, "This is going to stretch my heart. Like teach yes, me to love more." I agree. And in order That's to actually love does. and include more people, we have to get used to really caring about them. And I was looking and looking. There's a scripture in Thessalonians that talks about busybodies, and it's so interesting the difference between loving people. And being a busybody, because sometimes we're just interested to find out what's happening or where they've gone, and it kind of makes you feel good when their choices like have brought them to a bad place, and you're like, I knew that was going to happen. I told them not to do that, but um, and that's totally a busybody. Who would ever do such a thing? But um, but in essence, when we love them and we say that, we say, how can we help? Yeah, mm -hmm. I am here, and so externally, a busybody versus someone abounding in love look a lot the mm -hmm. same. Mm -hmm. It's how we feel and how we react. Right. Yeah. It's our intention and the direction. And I just wanted to say one more thing about love really quick. And it's about charity. You know, we're told to have this perfect love for people, to have charity for people. And that's a lot of pressure. Before I really understood what charity meant, I thought, oh, man. <laughs> I have to love like Jesus does, but does he know this person? <laughs> like, how can I do that? And the more I've studied, I've really come to realize that charity is the love of Jesus Christ. It's God love, God's love that he gives to us. It's a gift given to us. And so it takes the pressure off me to be like, okay, I have to feel all this love for this person that I minister to or this person in my family when it's really hard. When really abounding in love, I think one of the greatest keys is, and that's why they prayed for them, is to pray to feel God's love okay. for them. Pause. <laughs> faith, hope, and charity. You know faith is a gift of the Spirit. Like we mm -hmm. do all the things, but when we actually, our faith increases, it comes from the Spirit. Hope, same thing. Mm -hmm. You're like like thinking, I know these things are true, but it's really applied to me. And you're like, I just don't believe it. I have no hope. I just, I've done too many difficult things and there's no way. And then one day the Spirit touches you and it's like, I do love you. I I have that hope. Of course, charity is the Lord sharing his love with you. Mm -hmm. Why didn't I figure that out till now? Bravo. Well, just, it is a gift too. It's it a spiritual gift. gift. It's a spiritual it's gift spiritual. that we can ask for. We have the and right. We We've been totally commanded to ask it. for it. it. Grow. And so when you see someone standing at the pulpit and saying, I love you all, mm -hmm. I've been in the congregation and I'm like, you don't know me. How do you know? And you know, how do you, but they do because I've, I have been in that position where I've looked around and I've said, I love you all because it's that love. And I, I feel like it's this beam that comes through us and to other people. And then when that love, because we don't constantly have, that would be so tiring. Yes. But when that's gone, I feel like some of it just stays with it. It's, it's that light that we gather. And wow. so that's what he wanted for them. And that's why it's so important in so ministering, beautiful. in family, in whatever, connect with Heavenly Father first, connect with Jesus Christ first, because then you can have that hope, that charity, 
love. You're like blowing my mind, which is why like we pray when we get there, we pray before we go because you're making that connection so you can feel the love of the Lord as you bring it to them. Duh. Well, I do do (laughs) want to also make a comment. My husband is a patriarch and I get to be the scribe. And it's fascinating to me when these, um, you know, people come into our home for the blessing because most of them we don't know. Every once in a while we get, you know, a family that we do know. But usually they are people that we don't know. And my husband does. He looks at their picture and he prays over them and he seeks the Lord's help. And he said the the greatest blessing that he's had as a patriarch is that he truly can look at anybody and feel that love for them and also feel of their spirit. And he said it's been the greatest blessing in his life to be able to, and it doesn't matter whether he's giving the patriarch blessing to that person, but he said, I will just be walking down the street and just see people and feel that love and feel of their spirit. Um, and and so I, I just get a little taste of that as the scribe to be able to see how the Lord does allow us to feel of that love for other people. And you know what that makes open. me think of? You know how everyone's always saying, how do you define love? I think you just defined it. Love is when two spirits connect. That's it. It's when, and when we connect with Heavenly Father, that's love. It's the feeling of when two spirits truly connect. Hearts knit together in unity and love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and as we're seeking for love, we're looking forward to the second coming. That is for oh, sure. Oh, I love this. So, of course, we've heard this phrase um, that the Lord's going to come as a thief in the night. Mm-hmm. And there's so many interpretations to it. So as you guys think of the Lord coming as a thief in the night, what do you think that means? I think he's referring to people that are prepared, number one, mm-hmm. because he'll talk about us and how that's going to be different for us. Right. Absolutely. Ooh, I've always thought, well, thieves always come at night. So who's surprised? Yeah. <laughs> like. <laughs> That's when they're supposed to come, isn't it? But um, but you're right. In context, it's different because it says the day. It's cute how he plays with words. Mm-hmm. That's where you have to love Paul. He oh, was so yeah. educated. He's so, cute. He was, so, he's so clever. I love him. So he's little Maxwell. You know, it's like there's <laughs> this play with words. So he says, the day of the Lord cometh as a thief in the night. night. So mm-hmm. don't you love that as literary just beauty. Yes. And then he says, but ye brethren are not in darkness that that day should ever take you as a thief. Ye are children of light and children of the day. So the people that will come as a thief in the night are those people that are living in the night. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep and do as others. Let us watch and be sober. Mm. And so it really impressed me because we've heard that phrase. We've talked about it. But when you look at that, we are children of the day. And we've talked so much about how to bring light and love in our life. And if those things in our life, this is not going to be a surprise. It's going to be a wonderful, wonderful gift. There's a couple other um analogies that he uses or metaphors to talk about the coming of the Lord. And it's cute because he talks about um, a woman overtaken uh, with um, Owen Travail mm-hmm. and that it's sudden. And it was so funny because how many of your travails have been sudden? How many babies did you have that were surprised like you just started? Like you didn't have rumblings and warnings? Well, Sarah, I almost didn't make it to the hospital. And we do have 
sisters that didn't make it to the hospital. Right, you know, right. But had a baby in a car. But a lot of times it was because but it was, they were having pre-labor for so long that they just thought the labor was the pre-labor. So it wasn't that they didn't have the inklings. It's just when it went from an inkling to the real thing, they, did, they, right, they didn't make it It was too long a trip. Right. But I did think that that no, I did have a couple that were travail that were very suddenly from the outside. There. If you're stoic, someone may think it's quick, but usually it's not. And I think that is so apropos <laughs> right. to the second coming That's that you'll true. see these rumblings. So if it's from the inside out, you're going to know. It's from the outside, you you won't. Mm-hmm. And then the other one, he talks about people that are sleep or drunk. Mm-hmm. So again, what are they doing? They're not watching. So um, I love that. Um, he said, and you were, I just, in DNC 106, it talks about the thief in the night and it says, verily I say, the coming of the Lord draweth nigh and it overtaketh the world as a thief, but not us. And so I do think that's interesting. The other scripture in conjunction with these was in First Thessalonians 4, 17 through 18. And I was so interested by this because I want you to turn to it. There is no Thessalonians 4. It's first one has four. Yeah, You're like, there's no say. such thing. Okay. okay. So in 4, 17 and 18, it says, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them that are in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we be forever with the Lord. And this is known as the rapture. And I told you I've done a lot of um, fun Bible study with evangelists, and they talk about the rapture often. And I was interested to see what we believed in the rapture. But then I was more interested with the very next verse, because the reason he tells us this is for such a funny reason. It isn't for us to be nervous. Do you see what it is? Mm-hmm. What is it? <laughs> to comfort one another with these words. It's a comforting thought. Mm-hmm. Of returning with the Lord. Yeah. And I thought, how interesting, because he had seen the Lord. And when he saw the Lord, the Lord was not happy with him. But think how much joy of returning. But not just returning. He's in prison. Right. And in, um, in the Doctrine and Covenants, verse 88, it says... Of the same moment. And I wonder if he explained this more because it says, The saints that are upon the earth who are alive shall be quickened and be caught up to meet him, which is just what he said. And, oh man, I am just too weepy. They who have slept in their graves shall come forth from their graves and shall be opened, and they shall also be caught up in the midst of the pillar of heaven. And he will never see these people again. But when they're lifted up, in the midst of that pillar with Christ, think of the fabulous reunion. Yeah, they'll all be it is going to be so happy. It is the comfort. It's the time you'll see me again when I'm not beaten and torn. It's the time that I'll see you again when we both know that we're in Christ. It is such a joyful, beautiful moment. And it totally changed from, well, actually, it is rapture. Mm-hmm. Because it will be the most joyful moment of all of these tribulations and these difficulties and these things that are happening, and then just fun, <laughs> so, yeah, this, just joy and the happiness. Moment we're waiting for. I see it as so, a party. I yeah. know. It'll be a party. Yeah. So you think of who you missed, who you know, who you want to see and look out. It's like woohoo! <laughs> I, I don't know if there'll be enough time to say hello to everyone there, but I just think, oh, what a glorious moment. 
And that is the comfort. That's why we're going through everything. That's the whole point yeah. of that moment is that moment of glory. So um, it was interesting because he always has to give us um, advice. So he gives us advice how to prepare for the second coming in verses 8. And he says, um, be sober and put on the breastplate of faith and love. And isn't that cute that normally when we talked about the armor of God, it was only faith, but he has faith and love so connected. And they are. Faith and love are so connected. And then the helmet of salvation. And for me, he's saying protect your heart and protect your mind. Mm -hmm. That especially as things are coming and are so scary and life is so confusing that we need to protect our heart and protect our mind by filling our minds, like we said, with purity and truth and honesty yeah. and goodness. And then he said, comfort yourselves together and edify one another. And that reaching out and pulling together so that we actually can see the truth and see how other people live it and live it better. And so I just love that idea that instead of being afraid, having this Christ coming as being our great comfort and our great joy. Well, and then the, the people of Thessalonians, they are also being taught a more difficult truth. And that we find in 2 Thessalonians 2, and we're going to look at verse 3. And it says, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day, meaning the second coming, shall not come except there come a falling away first. And that man of sin, and of course man of sin, he's talking about Satan, be revealed, the son of perdition. So my question here is, so why does Paul have to burst the bubble? So, I mean, he's, he's giving this wonderful vision of, you know, the, the rapture and what's going to happen and we'll be back together again and all this. And now he's saying, but realize before <clears throat> that happens, there's going to be a falling away and Satan's going to come and he's going to um, show himself in the church. So it's not just the world now. He's also saying in the church, there's going to be a falling away in the church. So why do you think he felt like he needs to teach them that? Because it's not going to be in their lifetime. And and I really do think that idea that um, they were thinking that it was going to be so soon and were preparing and excited and thinking, well, Christ died and then he came back and now he's going to come again in all his glory. And all these crazy Greeks are all going to be like shocked and like, I'll be told you so. And they're thinking all of this is going to happen when it's far away, but they'll still be part of it because they'll be the ones raised from the grave. That will be the resurrection morning and they'll still be part of the party, but they just have to wait. It won't be within their lifetime. Well, I do agree with that comment because if you notice, this is in second Thessalonians, mm -hmm. and what you were reading was First Thessalonians, oh, and so realize oh, he that like he taught. Him. Well, he, you know, in First Thessalonians, he gives them this beautiful vision, and you, you get this feeling in Second Thessalonians. They were excited and they were looking forward to that day. And here in this, the second epistle, he's saying, "Well, <laughs> let me clarify. Just wait. Yeah, just <laughs> making sure that you understand the whole vision know, of what's going to happen." I do have to say this scripture. It's like so powerful when you're teaching the gospel. 
Oh, definitely. We use it so much. And you wonder if he's writing about all the glory of the second coming. And then he's like, oops. And he has to write his like backtrack scripture. But the Lord like did that on purpose. So we would have that scripture mm-hmm. to bring and say, look, the restoration of the gospel's here. And they're like, whoa, that's there. And I yeah. think the same thing of poor old, I'm going to say, is it Mormon or Moroni that did? Um, it was Moroni that did um, Ether. And when he's writing and he right. says, my Ron writing is so difficult. Right. And I'm thinking Ether's, la- the language of Ether must have been Ether so 12. beautiful mm-hmm. and it had, you know, multiple right. adjectives and, you know, different kind of, you wonder how gorgeous that language was. And he's like, and I'm writing in stupid reformed Egyptian and they only mm-hmm. have, you know, like, what is it? Astonished. And that's it. There's nothing else we do. <laughs> and so um, it's just cute because that weakness Mm-hmm. scripture is you're like I'm so grateful that he was writing in a difficult language because I needed that strength oh, yeah. so I do think sometimes you see those moments where we the need Lord divined right the scripture because yeah. there can be multiple purposes needed. and I think we can see that in our lives too something happens yeah. and it means multiple things right and it, and now it, and it creates gifts we never knew right would occur so that is fun yeah. so also in second Thessalonians we also have a Joseph Smith translation change yeah. and so this is second Thessalonians <laughs> 2 7 through 9 and it also helps us understand this concept a little bit better. And so that's the reason why I challenge people to read the Joseph Smith translation, oh, yeah. because it does give Is us Is it the one richness. all the way at the back? It's all the way in it's the back, because it changes so much. It gives much. us more. It gives us a lot more. <laughs> I love that more. It says, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Now, I, before I continue, it's interesting. The mystery of iniquity doth already work. Yes. So, He's saying it's already, already started. Yes. In the Come Follow Me manual, it mentions that this is already beginning. Yes. And so when we talked about oh. the Jerusalem con- conference, you know, this is way back in uh, Acts chapter 15, there was already the dissension mm-hmm. that was happening and the factions that were happening. Yeah. And the church was still very young. Yes. But Paul is saying here, yep, it's already started. And he it is who now worketh, and Christ suffereth him to work. So that's interesting. So he's saying Mm -hmm. Satan is doing his thing and Christ is allowing that until the time is fulfilled that he shall be taken out of the way, Mm -hmm. meaning the second coming. And then shall that wicked one be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Yea, the Lord, even Jesus, whose coming is not until... After there cometh a falling away. So he's repeating himself here to make sure everybody understands. By the work of Satan, with all power and the signs and lying wonders. And I love that. Lying wonders. Yeah. Because that's what Satan that over does. Over and over. You can read. That would be a fun, well, a twisted fun, the lying wonders. Because there's a lot in the last days it talks about in Revelation. It's just fun. And Isaiah talks about anyway. I, love I think that it's interesting too that he calls it the mystery. Mm. Like and, and you look in what's happening these days, you know, the the great apostasy is over. Um, and you know, the church is here, the gospel's here to stay. But there's so much around us that may seem good that isn't overtly evil, that is kind of a mystery that's still pulling people away or keeping them away. And he, you know, the adversary is just so sneaky. And I love how Paul's always talking about open your eyes and see and see. So he calls it what it is it's this mysterious. But why does Christ allow this to happen? Because he said, you know, he says that Christ suffereth to be so. So why do you think that's that's the reason why? 
mean, because he could stop it from happening. It didn't have to, you know, Christ could stop it. Um, The answer is, I don't know. I think agency (laughs) has to, I mean, his plan is is agency and Satan's plan is coercion. So, but I've asked myself that too. It's like, why, why did, what about all those people that didn't have the gospel? And here's one of those things where there's a lot that I know about the gospel and there's a lot I don't like, I don't know the answer to that question, but I go back to, to Nephi when the spirit said, you know, knowest thou the condescension of God. And he says, I don't know, but I know God loves his people. Right. And so I don't know. Do you know? Well, let's read Doctrine and Covenants 86, 2 through 5, Mm. because this is an explanation of the wheat and the tares, the parable that we've already talked Mm -hmm. about. But think of it in terms of the question that you just had and see if you can find an answer. So he says, behold, verily I say, the field was the world. And the apostles were the sowers of the seed. And after they have fallen asleep, the great persecutor of the church, the apostate, the whore, even Babylon, that maketh all nations to drink of her cup, in whose hearts the enemy, even Satan, sitteth to reign. Behold, he soweth the tares. Wherefore, the tares choke the wheat and drive the church into the wilderness." But behold, in the last days, even now, when the Lord is beginning to bring forth the word, and the blade is springing up and is yet tender, behold, verily I say unto you, the angels are crying unto the Lord day and night, who are ready and waiting to be sent forth to reap down the fields. But the Lord said unto them, Pluck not up the tares while the blade is yet tender, for verily your faith is weak lest you destroy the wheat also. So does that help at all? What do you see in there? There, there were a couple of thoughts I think that came to my mind. I think our attitudes right now were like those angels saying, just go save them, just, just go. go them. But he's like, no, they have to go through this to be part of the fellowship of suffering, to be part yeah. of that strength and power. And unless you live it, it doesn't change you. Like, just learning about it isn't enough. We have to live these tribulations and difficulties. Go ahead. The one section that I love is the tares choke the wheat and drive the church into the wilderness. Mm -hmm. Now, you were talking last time about your wilderness experience Mm -hmm. and how it changed you with your son. And I was thinking about that, how wilderness experiences do enable us to come out a different person. And I do think that sometimes allowing this falling away to happen allowed individuals to really understand more the gospel, you know, in terms of it's coming forth. You know, there we talk a lot about the difference between light and dark and how we need to understand the dark to understand the light. We have to have that light and dark experience. I think sometimes, though, our our history of man needs also that light and dark experience to be able to have all of us to be able to understand the true plan of salvation. So if, if we're looking at this then through the context of the house of Israel, mm-hmm. so we know what the house of Israel was, right? We talked about the Abrahamic covenant before. Mm-hmm. We know what they went through. We know their apostasy. We know that they were separated. And maybe this house had to be separated for a while to actually come back stronger. The house itself, maybe not individual experience or individual people in like 1491 when there was no gospel right. and they were living in here, they had to be born and they had to go. But if we're looking at the holistic plan, 
and the family exactly. of Abraham, then the family had to go through that because now the family is ready. The spirits up there are ready to come down. And we always talk about the rising generation. What does right. President Nelson say? Right. Mm-hmm. Now is the time of the gathering of Israel. Look at this. The windows are opening and I'm seeing this because I've always thought about it on an individual basis. Me. Mm-hmm. Why did, why I, why me now? Why that person in 1692? Why this, why that? But looking at it as a family affair, right? because that's God's business. Exactly. Then I can see him going, you know, the family's not ready yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not ready yet. Right. And now they're coming down and we're here and we're being called to do more and be more and to minister and to all these wonderful things. That makes total sense. Thank you for sharing that. Well, and I want to, to go further in terms of what Nephi, Nephi even understand it more. And this is found in First Nephi um, chapter 22, where he's talking very specifically about the falling away. But I think this also helps us answer your question. So in verse 22, he says, and the righteous need not fear, for they are those who will not be confounded. Mm -hmm. Now it's it's interesting. I I all of us here love to read. And for me, I love to read history and especially the words of righteous people during quote unquote the dark ages. Mm, Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because you read their words, they were not confounded. No, they understood the truth. They understood the truth. And there was there was still something exactly they were the wheat. Yeah. You know, that had not That's been so choked true. by the tares. And um, they shall not be confounded, but it is the kingdom of the devil, which shall be built up among the children of men, which kingdom is established among them which are in the flesh. Mm-hmm. For the time speedily shall come that all churches which are built up to get gain and all those who are built up to get power over the flesh and those who are built up to become popular in the eyes of the world and those who seek the lust of the flesh and the things of the world and to do all manner of iniquity. We see all of these right now in the world. <laughs> Yea, and fine, all those who belong to the kingdom of the devil are they who need fear. And that goes to your comment that you already oh, said. And tremble and quake low in the dust. They are those who must be consumed as stubble. And this is according to the words of the prophet. Now, the other question that comes into my mind as I read that, does that mean that people of other churches are in this devil category? Well, what do you think? I first think the word church means a group of people with a similar belief. So it may not be a church building. We have whole groups of in essence, worship circles that have different beliefs that that becomes their major belief system. So I don't think we have to, but it says the churches that their intent isn't to come to Christ. Their intent is to get gain. Get gain. Their intent is to truly gain and power. Trying through things. their church to go closer to Christ are are part of the church of Christ. They just don't know it yet. <laughs> and it will be very yeah, so people in other churches they, they have some light they, many I know so right. many good people and I yeah, think when that veil God is lifted they'll be like oh that's an easy one sure and then just yeah. take that little mini right. step and life's good because so I, but I think remember. it's the intent because there are yeah. people in those churches that organize them for the purpose of deceiving for the purpose of selfishness of power, for the, of power. Yeah. no and and that's my thought too and I have the opportunity to work with so many different faiths in my interfaith work. And I can honestly say I have such a testimony of their faithfulness. They help me be better. They help me understand what it means to act like Christ, even though they might not believe in Christ. Right. They still teach me how to be a disciple of right. him. But there is a promise. There is a hope. 
And this is found in 25 and 26. He says, and he, meaning the Savior, gathereth his children from the four corners of the earth, and he numbereth his sheep, and they know him. There shall be one fold and one shepherd, and he shall feed his sheep, and in him they shall find pasture. And because of the righteousness of his people, Satan has no power. Wherefore, he cannot be loosed for the space of many years, for he hath no power over the hearts of the people, for they dwell in righteousness, and the Holy One of Israel, that goes back to the family, mm-hmm. the Holy One of Israel reigneth. So that is our hope. That is what we're looking forward to. And that's what the Thessalonian saints were also looking well, forward to. Well, I had that debate with my family just before I came here, and it was heated because I understood that the reason why the devil was chained was because of the righteousness of the people. But they're like, no, that the Lord's going to throw him down to outer darkness, that he's going to be physically withheld. And I said, I don't think so. I think from that scripture, doesn't it sound like because we're so righteous that he can scream all he wants and no one's listening? Does, Isn't he that just what won't have, He just won't have power. He, he won't have They power. that are with us are greater than they that are with them. Right, you know? right. That's And it says he cannot So again, where is that? Too. This is... First Nephi 22, 25, and 26. Okay, so it's First Nephi 22. Yep. See, I was looking in this, uh, Thessalonians, so yeah, I'm going to no, go home and pull out First Nephi and prove it. Okay, right. go for it. <laughs> Can I just go back to your question, too? Why do we think he mentions the apostasy uh-huh. here? Yes, oh, please. I just think of those reformers and, gosh, the work they did to continue to look for yeah. light and darkness, and maybe that gave them a little bit of hope. We don't know. I don't know what their what their thoughts about everything was at the time. But I just think this can apply to us, that there will be seasons of darkness. There will be a lack of understanding or maybe access for some people in the world to to light and truth, but but that we can relate to that a little bit. And the work that they did was so pivotal and key to continue to keep that light still somehow on the earth so that, you know, the restoration could eventually happen. But I just think it'd be so great to be living in that time and know, oh, okay, I'm in in this time right now, but that still will come. That still will come. And there's promise and hope for all this in the future and that would keep me going well and i go back to this and the righteous need not fear right for they you know they will not be confounded and so and i think you're absolutely right you know people like martin luther and calvin and all those that were reformers they 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 were not confounded they understood okay there's something wrong here and we have to change things. And they, and they also did were call... looking for something greater. Mm-hmm. Yes. Which yeah. I love that Luther didn't start his own church. It was his followers that did because right. he knew he didn't have the authority and believed in authority. Right. So, so there, it, and they did call it a reformation, not a restoration, Absolutely. which is right. also, That's you know, significant as well. Yes. Yeah. So, Kim, I know mm-hmm. you're going to help us understand some more. Well, yes, we're going to talk a little bit about those verses again. Um, yes. So if we're looking at First Thessalonians chapter 4, I love what he says here in verse 13 and 14. He says, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, so that ye sorrow not, verses, I have a verses here, others which have no hope. So I think there's two different believers or non-believers here. Okay, there's two different groups of people here. For, and why? Verse 14, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, then, or or even so, them also which sleep in Jesus will, will God bring with him. So this is the why. Because we know that 
they will be okay. We will see th- see them and be with them again, those who are asleep. So I just, uh, there's a couple thoughts. Why do we sorrow not? Um, he tells us to sorrow not in verse 13, and then he gives us another exhortation here in verse 13, wherefore comfort one another with these words. So sorrow not and comfort one another. And I want to go back to grief and suffering in just a moment. But to just kind of illustrate the differences between those who sorrow not and those who have no hope. What is the difference and why? Personally, I think we have this knowledge that we will live again. We will well, we'll not be asleep forever. We'll be together again. We will be in Christ and uh, and the dead in Christ have, um, well, that they will rise first. He tells us that as well in verse 16. And there are blessings that are associated with that, which we don't, we don't need to go into at the moment. But um, those who have no hope, maybe they don't have a knowledge. They don't have this knowledge and understanding or they are not in Christ as yet. So, um, but yeah, so I think it's, oh, you know, why, how do we, how do we keep this hope so that we can sorrow, not just gain this knowledge and understanding and learn about the resurrection, what those blessings are going to mean. But in the meantime, we do have to deal with grief and suffering and loss until that happens. And what is that like? I personally actually have not had a lot of experience yet with this. So I was talking to you guys this morning about that. And what has that been like for you? And how have you found comfort and in you for yourselves, but also been able to comfort others? What's that been like? So this last Saturday, I went to the funeral of my uncle, Uncle Bob. Mm-hmm. And it, it's it's interesting to me, um, funerals are really hard for me since, um, now you're making me cry, <laughs> since the, the death of my parents. Right. And it's really hard for me to go to a funeral because it brings back the pain. And it's not that I don't have hope. But it does because I miss them. I just miss them now. But the thing I was going to say is I turned a corner on Saturday. I only shed a few tears. (laughs) I mean, usually, like I said, I am a mess for like days after. I'm just weepy, 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 not just during the funeral, but afterwards. Father was the crier. And so, um, (laughs) but I... I made it through with just a few tears. Okay. And even after I was able to talk to people, which normally I, I'm, I'm just so emotional, I can't. And I think the difference was his life was so righteous, but he also had a long time to say goodbye. Oh, that's and, true. And, you know, he, he um, knew he was going to die, you know, and yet he was feeling pretty good. And so... Everybody came and said goodbye and had these wonderful experiences of goodbye while he was still alive. That's beautiful. And I think because of that, it really was a different funeral than I've ever been to, mm. where everybody had had like already grieved closure. with him. Mm-hmm. There had been all this closure. And so instead, it truly was a great celebration. Mm. And so I do think that um, grief is hard just because we miss them so much. It's not that we don't have that hope and know that the future is going to happen, but it's just hard not having him here. Yeah, I love the footnote for for sorrow. The footnote is despair. Mm -hmm. So it says... So you can be sorrowful, it's just that we don't have despair. You don't don't have to despair. It's, It's grief with hope. 
And I think that's like that's sacred okay. grief. You know, my mom, I mentioned this before, but my mom passed away a couple of years ago. And just having that experience, we were able to say goodbye to her as well. There was, there was a week before, you know, we thought we were going to lose her. So we said goodbye and then she came back. And then we, so we said like three goodbyes oh. and they were, it was so, so beautiful. Um, and then I was okay. And then I wasn't. And what I'm learning about grief is that it's, <laughs> it's different for everyone, Right. There's no right way or, well, I think the right way to grieve is to invite God into your grief. That's the mm -hmm. right way. And that's how you can sorrow without despair. Um, but you said something that changed the way I looked at grief. You said, and tell me if I'm remembering this right. You said grief is when love is reaching through the veil. And when you said that, all of a sudden I'm like, I'm like Mother's Day, I was really okay. But my right. mom's birthday, I was a mess. And I realized whenever I grieve with, and I invite God into that grief, it's my love reaching her and she feels it and not, not the negative painful parts, but she feels the love. And I and love feel her love. Yes. Which always brings tears to your eyes. But you know what though? I don't always feel her and it's frustrating because oh. I'm like, she's probably with my dad or she's busy <laughs> yeah, doing yeah, stuff. If her how to, busy they are. To know that she loves me, but I, to know that someday when we're brought up and, you know, Kim, what you're talking about, the resurrection here and, and that she's sleeping and that she'll be awake someday, someday she's going to come and she's going to hug me and then she's going to, and then I'm going to hug her and then we'll just joke and we'll laugh just like before. And she's going to say, when I died, why did you do this? And why didn't you do this? And I told you that. <laughs> and then I'll, you know, well, why did you have to, you know, and it'll, it'll be great. But I just love that grief with God can be consecrated and we don't have to despair. But I think some grief, honestly, we might just carry it with us until that day. And that's okay. Well, Paul gives us some pretty good counsel as to how we live today, how we should continue living today. Yes, he does. I love his final parting words. And I think it's fun that we've been here for four weeks with you guys. And so we have these fun final parting <laughs> words. So it's in First Thessalonians. And it's a final word of his first letter. And so let's all look in verses 14 through 25. And I feel like, you know, Paul's in prison. So he's in his house, right? It's not really prison. He's in his house. People are coming and going, and he can right. still write letters. And I feel like, you know, maybe he's just sitting there. And he's like, I'm going to cross-stitch each of these beautiful sayings on pillows because each of these are beautiful. So I want you each to scan these verses, verses 14 through 25, while you're doing that, I'm going to share just a couple that I love, but I, I would love for you to share one of these just little beautiful tidbits. And I love those tidbits that you can take, so you know, <laughs> and I would love for you to share that with me. So, um, and we might have the same thing. I love the rejoice forevermore. I love that. Um, oh. Just because rejoice, I think is different than being happy, but it's just to celebrate that we know what we know, even in the midst of our pain, even in the midst of our trials, and the fact that he can rejoice after being, you know, mm -hmm. shipwrecked, stoned, wanting to kill, knowing, letting go of the 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 shame of that he could have carried with who he was, you know, what he had done, but he could rejoice. I love that. What about what about Ooh. you? Did you find one? I love twenty three and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And if you notice, it's a W-H-O-L-L-Y, yeah. so completely. And so I just love that, to be sanctified by the God of peace completely. Wow, how what a wonderful feeling that would be. Mm -hmm. I love it. It's very fun. You know, I wrote Quench Not the Spirit, 
Mm-hmm. And that's the one I love because the idea of quenching your thirst is taking a drink and then you're not thirsty anymore. Yeah. And I think that we need to hunger and thirst after righteousness. Always. And that sometimes it's so easy to not have questions. And with Google, there's this death of wonder where you can find an answer to anything so you don't really ask. Mm. So it's funny because even though our kids have the answers at their thumbs and could look up anything, they don't know basic things. It's shocking. And I think the same thing kind of with the gospel, it's easy for us to not become curious, to not become wondering how can the spirit influence or change this like stage of my life or this challenge I'm going through. So it's easy to not hunger and thirst and after the spirit. Kim, yeah. which one do you love? Ooh, I love verse it's 18. <laughs> it is hard to pick. In everything, give thanks for this is the will of God and Jesus, Christ Jesus concerning you. So give thanks in everything, right? Things could yeah. always be worse, but, but just know that, yeah, this is his will for you. In your life. But I also love that. that only a healthy heart can feel gratitude. Mm. So when you yeah. don't feel thanks, you have to figure out what's stopping what's wrong. Yes. Thanks. Right. There's always like a, like a thorn and you have to mm-hmm. figure it out and pull it out. And then the thanks comes. It's funny. It's okay. So I'm going to put y'all on the spot. Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. I know. You guys may not invite me back. <laughs> but these are his parting words, right? These are what he wants to say. Mm-hmm. So if you're, if you're writing a letter to someone, mm-hmm. a child going on a mission, someone about to be married, someone going... What is some of the advice or some of the parting words that you would give to them or you have given them to them in the past? And if you can't think of that, think of some advice one has given oh, to you. I know it's it's a big question. Mm. Mine's simple. Uh, you know, when I send things to my children, I always write at the bottom, and I know you know this, love you more. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's that's a pretty strong statement of what I want them to feel as they yeah. leave me and are uh, just know that I love you more. And so that's such a safe feeling to know somebody loves me more. That gives me goosebumps. It makes me think of like, I love you more than just your weaknesses, more mm-hmm. than your... And I don't know if you meant it that way, but that's where my mind went. Yeah. I love you more than any mistake you've ever made, anything mm-hmm. you could ever do. Any doubt you might okay, have. From I just now on, I want to write more. that last word. I, I love, love you more than dot, dot, dot. I think they more than Mariana <laughs> does. <laughs> I love you. So I love you more than. I love you more. I love that. Oh. Thank you. Thank you. That's beautiful. What about you two? Well, the advice I always give my children is life isn't fair and your parents don't know everything. But I don't know that that's uplifting. So I was thinking, what would I give them as far as spiritual advice? And it would be that, just anyway, I just had a zoom. Um, my one of my sons were having terrible, terrible nightmares, and as a five-year-old, he would sleep with his hands over his heart because he said dark spirits were mm. trying to get in. And he said, "How can I stop these horrible nightmares?" And I just said to him, "Honey, only the Lord can do it." And he was like, "Really? There's nothing you can do?" I said, "No, it's just the Lord that can do it." So he started to say his prayers. And one day he came to me and he said, you know what happened last night? And I said, what? And he said, I heard the Lord answer me. And he said, sorry, (laughs) he won't have those nightmares anymore. And he never did. And I think that's my advice. There's certain things that only the Lord can heal, that only turning to him can fix and improve and make beautiful. 
It's good. We're feeling all the good feels. It's a weepy day. Oh, it is, but it's good. Um, I would just say hold to the rod. My dad gave me that advice when I was a little girl. I don't know why, but I went through this. Um, I, have, I, I worry. I'm a professional worrier like both of my parents. But <laughs> but I just went through this little phase of what if I lost my parents? And I asked my dad when he was tucking me in one night, what would I do if I lost you? And he said, just hold to the rod. It will lead yeah. you safely home to your Father in Heaven who loves you. And his love is bigger and better than anything in the world. And, and hopefully we'll all be there together. So well, hold to the you. rod. I think... I think what I, what I, um, you know, going back to the, the message I always give to the people that I love and my kids is know who you are. Like when, when God met with Moses, the first thing he established is I'm your father. That means you're my son. Know who you are and then let that spread out into all the other things. Well, as we conclude, Christine, do you want to say a couple of words about being don't weary. be weary in well-doing. Well, and I think that all the things we've spoken of, it they just take work. Mm-hmm. And we started at the beginning talking about talking work. About work. And it's That's so right. easy to become weary in our work. But the other thing that was interesting to me was I did a search on all the things we can be weary of in the scriptures. And that was really interesting. And so I'll go really quick. But we can get weary of getting in trouble with God. In Proverbs, it says, um, be not weary of the Lord's correction. We can be weary of the foolish, and it says the labor of the foolish make everyone weary. We can be weary of being great, of like following the Lord, of of doing our callings, of being important. We can be weary of the spirit. Isn't that weird? But in 1 Nephi 19, it says, I have workings in the spirit with such weary me even that all my joints are weak. And so... With the spirit, there's just so much worry because the Lord, like how he shares his love of other people, he can also share his worry of other people. And it's wearying. Um, We can be weary in our mind and we can be weary travelers. We can be weary as we go from place to place. And the last thing is we can be weary building a house. And I thought um, I loved Uchtdorf's talk about um, Jesus Christ is the strength of parents. And I thought about building a house And this was the last one I wanted to share. He said, brothers and sisters, daily bread is best prepared and served at home. Faith and testimony are best fostered in normal and natural ways, one bite at a time, in small and simple moments, in the constant flow of daily living. Every moment is a teaching moment. You may not see the effects of your efforts, but don't give up. All things must come to pass in their time. Wherefore, be not weary in well-doing, for you are laying the foundation of a great work. What work could be greater than helping God's precious children learn who they are and building their faith in Jesus Christ, his gospel, and his church? And so even when you're up all night with a new baby, which you will be this week, mm-hmm. <laughs> fun. we can't it's be fun. weary because we're doing the most important work yeah. at all, laying a foundation of a great work. Well, thank you. I wanted to end with um, actually something that my husband wrote. Uh, My husband, for every Mother's Day for decades, we've been (laughs) married for 45 years, and he writes me a poem. And you have to understand, my my husband is a computer scientist. And so uh, the fact that I am kind of the creative side, and he is definitely not, (laughs) the fact that he gets me this poem once a year, is such a great gift. Well, this past, this is the one that he just gave me this past Mother's Day. 
And I wanted to share it because it goes so much with what we've been talking about. And it's called A Mother's Hope in Christ. And I'm only going to read two stanzas. I'm not going to read you the whole thing. But he says, At times my hope in Christ grows dim, but still I seek to hope in him. The world screams that I not waste my time because my hope's misplaced. As I reflect, my fears depart. I thank the Lord with all my heart for gifts to help, with life to cope, especially the gift of hope. And I think that that's what we can take away from Thessalonians, is that these saints did feel that hope in Christ. And that's what helped them get through it, even though they... Paul told them that the second coming wasn't going to happen right away. There had to be a falling away. But they knew that they had hope that they would. And that party was coming. And that party party was was coming. coming. So thank you so much. It has been a party to be with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.